All right, let's move on on overnights because on the phone to discuss what's going on in her part of the US is Celeste Katz-Marston and good morning to you. Good morning. Lovely to have you with us again. And have I said Happy New Year to you yet this year? Uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. (laughs) Yeah. Now, um, well, I'm telling you, Celeste, uh, parts of our country have the same uh, same problem, but uh, parts of the Northeast are underwater. Yeah, it's been a a real issue here. We just hear, and I'm speaking to you from uh, Massachusetts in the United States, uh, just outside of Boston, and we have just had a real double whammy. Uh, Where I am, we just got 10 inches of snow, and it was super cold, like in the the teens Fahrenheit, uh, you know, very close to freezing. And then uh, right away, we went into a torrential rainstorm that added all this rain and melted all that snow, and it has been a real mess. Yeah, look, we're having it too, particularly in Queensland, and uh, it's happening here too. The climate experts are saying, well, we just better get used to it, huh? Yeah, I mean, I think that what we're looking at right now is a bunch of studies that are saying it's getting bad, it's getting worse, and it will be uh, sort of existentially worse if we don't do anything about it. And there's some new studies out, for example, that says, you know, this, you know, Uh, winters in the northeast of the United States, which is where I am, uh, could see a doubling of uh, really rainy and snowy storms by the end of the century if we don't do anything. And this is just, I mean, if you think about what's going on now, we're already seeing catastrophic flooding, roads, Mm. dams being washed out, people drowning, people losing their homes, being lost. Um, So the idea is sort of trying to, I guess, impress on people the urgency of of doing something about this and doing it right away, essentially before sort of 2040. Well, exactly. And, uh, you know, it's interesting here, uh, same thing. And it was uh, referred to, and I'm not sure if Al Gore termed the phrase, but uh, and the scientists, uh, global warming. But now they're saying climate change because what we're talking about is extreme weather. It doesn't necessarily have to be warm. It could be, but it could also be the reverse. Absolutely. And I think that's something that uh, the debate about that is pretty largely over. There are certainly people out there who deny that uh, the behavior of humans and the use of fossil fuels and all of that have have any effect on what we are seeing because we're seeing, you know, over time an increase. I've talked to people in my own reporting who say, well, you know, what about the ice age? What about the dinosaurs? Hmm, You know, what about all those things? But if you look at the rate of change, not the fact that there are extreme times with weather, which we all get, but if you look at the rate of change, the warming over time, I think last year was officially now the hottest year ever, uh, at least since the beginning of recording. Uh, you know, I think people generally are taking this seriously, but if taking it seriously also does not translate to changes in behavior, that's where we're going to run into a real problem. Yeah. Forgive me if I interrupt briefly, but uh, my lovely young producer, Alistair, just told me, uh, a quiz winner, and I see he's on the phone now, is Andrew from Smithton. So well done, Andrew from Smithton. A, a beautiful fridge magnet is on the way to you. So uh, like here, it's causing all sorts of drama, lots of, as you say, loss of life and damage. And the thing is, Celeste, um, governments can only do so much, but it's, it's going to be an incredibly expensive it's going to run into the billions of dollars around the world, all of this. Right. And certainly in, in our political system, and, and you may have people who are sort of uh, looking at it the same way, some people here in our political system say, OK, we have, even if we accepted that 
climate change is an issue or that the behavior of human beings affects uh, what happens with our environment and our climate, uh, will it put us at an economic disadvantage if we try to change the way we function, but other countries don't, and they sort of uh, use that to get a leg up on us financially? Uh, if we are Putting, uh, putting ourselves in a situation where we have our own manufacturers or our own uh, energy-related industries uh, having to deal with all these mandates, but other countries don't, uh, you know, what are we doing to ourselves? So I kind of get that part of the argument, but I mm. think that's also why we're part of all these uh, large consortiums and you have uh, Kyoto and all these sort of um, big discussions about how to address the problem globally. Well, and the other issue for, you know, uh, people like uh, you and me and uh, most of my listeners is insurance. I mean, there's parts of Australia now that are on the rivers and creeks that your homes are almost uninsurable or the premium is so much you just simply can't afford it. So there's another issue we're probably going to have to deal with in the future too. Oh, for sure. That has been, there are certainly the state of Florida, and I'm sure, uh, you know, lots of Australians have you know, visited Florida. It's a huge vacation spot and so on, tourism destination and so on. But there are parts of that state where you simply cannot get insurance, coastal parts of the state, and the state becomes mm. what's called the insurer of last resort. But then that essentially means that taxpayers are shouldering some of that burden. If the state is involved in any way, or if the state is sort of directly underwriting that risk, then yeah, even if you think it might not affect you, because say your house is inland, you're still paying for it. Yeah, indeed. And God, it's such a big subject. Uh, eventually, houses are going to have to be built differently, aren't they? Uh, just going to have to deal with it in many and various ways, because uh, in a lot of ways, it's um, we have been told, but it's caught us by surprise, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, is it is it going to be a fundamental shift in the way we think about uh, resiliency? And certainly we've seen, unfortunately, cases where there have been building collapses, uh, washouts, all these things. And when people build back, putting back what used to be there is certainly not enough. I mean, that's mm. just asking for trouble, right? But mm. it's going to cost money and it's going to be also an engineering challenge to figure out how do you make houses more resilient? How do you think about planning roads, bridges? Bridges are a huge issue in the United States, and I'm sure uh, in Australia as well. Deferred maintenance, bridges that have been there for a long time, mm. haven't been checked out or checked out regularly. And you know, lots of times people don't want to spend the money, and I get that. I don't want to pay higher taxes myself. Yeah. But uh, you know, if you leave, these things don't get better with age, put it that way. Well, Celeste, as we speak, uh, my listeners in Queensland are going through monsoonal weather, and it's done nothing but rain in North Queensland for a time and has caused tremendous um, hardship, loss of life, hardship, damage. It's just uh, terrifying. So sadly, we're kindred spirits in all the wrong ways with that. I very much agree with you there. And I have great sympathy for people who are, yeah, yeah. are going through that right now in Queensland. Now, um, this is very interesting. I must say to me, um, we've had some issues with airlines here. The response was pretty swift from Alaska Airlines, but then what's the cost of passenger trauma? We all watched that here, I can tell you. That was a big story, and it was terrifying to watch that, that window or door, whatever it was, blowing out of that plane. Very scary. 
Yeah, it it really is frightening. And, you know, for people who uh, look, there's always going to be some risk associated with air travel. And I think we all get that. It's still statistically very, very safe. Uh, you know, as, as Superman said, right, statistically, <laughs> it's the safest way to travel. But yeah, I mean, you do have, I think, some measure or want to have some measure of confidence that when you get on an airplane, it's been properly maintained, that it's in accordance with all the standards, that it's been checked out, that, uh, issues of faulty parts and things like that, or the the preparedness of the crew, like those things are kind of taken care of. So mm. the question people are asking now is when that doesn't happen, when something goes wrong, what can you do about it? You as a passenger, yeah. can you, how should you be compensated for, uh, you know, not just the delays and the aggravation, but the terror that might be associated oh, with being yes. in an incident like that? Yeah. So um, they did respond quickly and refunded uh, the money, but then offered $1,500 to assist with any inconveniences. Now, that's a, a cute way to put it, but uh, I, I look, I don't know whether I would have been, but I'm sure some people are completely traumatized by that. Oh my God. I mean, yeah. we've had cases and I, and that was, uh, you know, also, you know, we've had other cases where people have actually been sucked out or partially sucked mm. out of planes due to these mechanical failures. I mean, aside from the person obviously who does not survive something like that, yeah. the people around them. I mean, if you're in a situation where the plane finally gets on the ground and you're okay, but you're hanging on to your infant in your lap, Oh, God, afraid yeah. that oh, they might yeah. get pulled out of a window or bashed against a ceiling or, or yes, even yeah. worse, mm. you know, is somebody supposed to help you through that? I mean, we're talking about even, I'm not talking about sort of being like, oh, wow, something bad happened to me and now I'm going to hit the lottery and never work again and, you know, buy mm. my Barbie dream house. But sort of what if you need counseling? What if you need to take time off from work because you're just patently mm. traumatized by what happened? So that's sort of a discussion that people are having. What do you do? Because people say like, okay, you know what? Sue the airlines. Well, you know, anybody who's ever sued well, a major yeah, yeah. corporation like yeah. an airline, like, you know, you're right to be concerned about how far you're going to get with that. Well, that's your ultimate David and Goliath, isn't it? So you think, is it worth me doing it? Well, a class action, I suppose. But uh, yeah, I just, I don't know how I would react. But uh, And how it's going to affect you, of course, in the future, Celeste. You don't know. I mean, you might be okay now and, uh, you know, have all sorts of mental trauma in the future. So, gee, that's a difficult one, isn't it? But I have to say, everyone's sort of saying, well, we're pleased that uh, Alaska Airlines did respond so quickly. It's just the amount of money they're offering that's the conjecture. Yeah. And look, this is like many, many things. And we've talked about some of those things on programs, say, uh, you know, sort of unrelatedly, but these things you can't really put a price on. For example, people in the United States have been talking for a long time about reparations, say, for the families of people who were uh, enslaved. Um, how do you put a price on that? How know. much, you know. know, is it a question of how much money you want to spend or how much money you have to spend? Or is there some way to calculate that? How do you calculate, even if you were going to see or if there was going to be some sort of set standards for people's suffering in these in these incidents, how do you figure out what that number is? Yeah, in, indeed. And just briefly, any word on how long uh, those planes will be grounded for? I, th I know they're all grounded at the moment, but how long for while the investigation uh, is conducted, I guess? Yeah, that that is um, that is a good question, and unfortunately, I don't want to give the wrong answer no, on no, the radio. Okay. I'm yeah. not sure about a precise number right now. Please okay. forgive me. No, that's okay. Now, <laughs> Celeste, I have to tell you, I would have thought 
this would be the reverse. No offence intended. But uh, <laughs> foodies are losing it over an Australian McDonald's burger set to launch in the States. One of ours being foisted upon you. <laughs> And some people are certainly uh, welcoming our new uh, Big Mac overlords. But uh, yeah, so this thing, the double Big Mac, and it, it was uh, previously, I think maybe about four years ago, for briefly offered in the United States. Now it's coming back. And some people can't literally can't wait to get their hands on it. And some people are just horrified. I mean, if you look at, we we've all been sort of barraged by fast food advertising and also sort of anti-fast food advertising or warnings about what eating this stuff on a regular basis does to you. And some people just think it's way over the top. But <laughs> I think maybe a lot of Americans don't know that y you all are already familiar with this thing. Oh, yeah. This is the double Big Mac. Yeah. Yeah. Never had one, but I, but I know it exists. <laughs> I have not had one either, but I looked. I looked at a picture of it, and and I don't know. I had sort of mixed feelings. I mean, I I don't know. It's sort of an individual preference thing. Like, do you feel full enough after you eat sort of the standard one? And is this something that that you uh you know would would make all your dreams come true? But some people are saying, look, there are already sort of there are already people who eat this stuff a lot on the on a regular basis or feed it to their kids a lot on a regular basis. And, you know, I sort of, in some cases, I get why. Like, it's super convenient. You yeah. don't have to cook yeah. it. You can get it anywhere. Kids like it. You like it. It's salty. It's, you know, whatever. It's fun. I mean, even that there's a whole... Uh, there's a whole thing about the psychology of fast food, like kids like it because it's like unwrapping a present and so on, or it comes with fun toys and all these things. But some people <laughs> in the United States are just saying, look, this country has a really, really big problem, no pun intended, with obesity. And yes, well, we do too. Diabetes yeah. and uh, hypertension and all these kinds of things. Like, is this really the answer we were looking for? <laughs> is it? Well, didn't you, who was it that did... Um and I'm pretty sure the, the doco was called Supersize Me in America. Yeah, yeah. And this Morgan guy Spurlock, ate nothing. I believe the guy's name was. Is ate that nothing but, me, that's right. That. Yeah, ate nothing but uh, Maccas and, uh, and then did the supersizing thing. Yeah. God. Right, well, for thirty days, and I, 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 don't, I don't think he felt like the the best version of his best self after that. No, he made himself really unwell. Yeah. 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 Really. Well, good luck with that. I think it contains about seven hundred calories by itself. And are you, is that is that true? You, I don't think we pay that for it. Are you going to pay twenty dollars for this thing? Yeah, there there's some places in the United States apparently that for like a meal would charge something like twenty dollars US, which I think probably comes out to like thirty Australian. Um, yeah, so roughly. That yeah. that's not necessarily like every single place you go, but I mean, it's bizarre. It's just another one of those things that, you know, thinking back to when I was a kid, five million years ago, when the dinosaurs were serving my food or selling <laughs> my movie tickets, right? You know, I don't remember it being $20 to go see a movie. I don't remember it no. being $20, certainly to like eat food at a McDonald's, but that's what we're looking at in some cases now. Well, that's right. I, I just, uh, it's, I couldn't eat it. It's too big for me, honestly. Some, one of my listeners has said, don't worry about it. It's not nearly as big as it looks in the picture. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck with it. For it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Now this one, um, you're going to have to explain this to me and the listeners. Why are there massive clown heads stuck between two buildings in Boston? I know. Isn't that the most disturbing? I'm, thing? I'm, I'm looking at your. I'm looking at your story, thinking, what? What happened? 
So there people were walking around in Boston and guys like walking around and he's uh, passing an alleyway, you know, sort of a narrow space between a couple of buildings. And in there, wedged in completely, he sees this gigantic floating clown head. What? And wow. I mean, it's big, big enough to stick in the space between two buildings in a, a major city, uh, Boston. And so the guy's thinking, what the heck? hell is that so he starts asking around and uh, it turns out that it's this art installation oh, and i guess okay. if their idea was to catch people's attention it worked <laughs> yeah well there's all sorts of people trying to get our attention well that got mine when i looked at the picture of it so uh, is everyone <laughs> a lot of people are frightened of clowns you know <laughs> yes yes they, i mean they make horror movies about clowns all the time right yeah. or they're sort of isn't wasn't there like a siller, a serial killer association with uh with this it's just it's some people i think might find it sort of startling and some people might find it really funny like hey that's random and weird and some people might be like i am never leaving the house again goodbye <laughs> so, <laughs> <I know. laughs> that's, <laughs> that's very funny well yes well that's uh that movie it now that's a very scary film that's that's about clowns and um well he was very good in the movie joker Joaquin phoenix who was scary as with that clown makeup on i mean it's a lot of people get frightened by that are they sure they've done the right thing <laughs> yeah i don't know but they have a they have a sort of a happy one and a, a i don't know a sad, sad one, one or a more yeah, serious that, yeah. one or something like that but the idea is to sort of catch people's attention, get them talking. And it's really, it's this sort of outdoor art installation. I mean, Boston in the winter gets, frankly, very bleak. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, it's yeah. super cold, kind of, uh, you know, it could be snowy or sleety or rainy, dark, super early, all these things. So mm. I guess the idea is sort of to catch people's attention and to to brighten up the cityscape in these uh, these sort of dark winter months. But as far as every single person being happy about it, I think mm. the jury's probably still out on that. Exactly. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you so much. That's uh, the lovely Celeste Katzmarston from Boston. This is Overnights with Tim Webster on ABC Radio.